Hi, this is Pastor Sam Murphy from Christ Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. When I was in college, I went to uh, get my bachelor's degree at a small Christian college down in central Florida, and uh, it was situated off of a, a large highway for Florida. Keep in mind, my perspectives on what was small and what was large changed dramatically when I moved to the Chicagoland area. But growing up in the south and southwest and central Florida, this, for us at that time, was a, a large highway. Imagine it kind of was in many ways like, for those of you who are local, uh, Caton Farm Road, but with a lot more cows and a lot less stoplights. And people various, uh, in various states of uh, drunkenness driving back and forth at incredible speeds uh, up and down this highway. And our, our Bible college was situated just off of it. And the Bible college itself could only be safely accessed through a long asphalt driveway that had a gate at the front of it. And this gate was absolutely nothing fancy. It looked like somebody built it in a shop and assembled it there. But it did its job. It was steel piping that was welded together, and you had to close both sides of the gate together. It was on these tires, and they would wheel together, and then you had to padlock it to secure it. It didn't look like much. But it did a great job of keeping vehicles that were not meant to be there off of that road that led into the Bible College. And it was surrounded, it had ditches on each side of it that, I mean, you could have made into moats. It was, it was, it was very interesting. But that one road, that one pathway, that one asphalt drive was the only way into the school by way of vehicle to do, to do it safely when the gate was open. Now, as I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, you often had people flying down that road, and, and again, people who at times were inebriated, and on more than one occasion in the four years that I were a there, there would be cars that would end up in the ditches on either side of the gate. And on one occasion in particular, there was a car that crashed into the gate, and things did not go well for that particular car. And it was the only way on the campus, the only way to, to get on there safely. There was only one way that was safe to get into the sheep pen in the Middle East as well in the first century, and that was through the door. Now, what I included tonight are a couple of pictures so that you guys can see these. As I say, pictures with a thousand words and so forth. So um, the one at the top, if you can see, I know it's, it probably is a bit small there. Uh, it is, I had no idea what a sheep pen really looked like until I did some research on this for this particular message. But it's a bunch of rocks that are stacked on top of each other that build about a six-foot rock wall that often is a circle. Sometimes it's a square or a rectangle, but this one I thought was interesting. It's a circle, and it's just rocks that are stacked on top of each other. And there's only one narrow opening that's just about wide enough for a sheep or two to get through to get into the middle of the pen. It's a very simple structure, yet very effective. And often sheep pens would have multiple flocks in them. Now, the picture at the bottom, uh, and there's probably absolutely no way at this point that we can get these any bigger, right? They're just, that's the way they are. Okay, so the one at the bottom there, uh, there is actually a person, if you're able to see it, on the right-hand side in the bottom corner. And that person is seated on the ground, and they're turned to the side, and as you see there, they are literally using their body to block that entrance. Now, that person is functioning as a door. They are the door to the sheep pen. And the sheep that are inside, sheep tend to be skittish animals, so it's not like they were going to try to run through her or get through her. 
uh, when they're in there. So she's effectively blocking the door from them getting out, but she's also blocking animals and things from getting in. Now, in the passage that I read at the beginning of the service, it talks about people accessing the pen another way. So you could get over those walls if you climbed over them, but uh, to get through, to get in another way, you had to try to get through the door. This is very fascinating when you think in terms of what we're going to be looking at over the series, uh, over the series of the next seven weeks or so. And the images of Jesus Christ. We have Easter in three weeks, and what I wanted to do this year for Easter is actually take a look at each of the passages in Scripture where Jesus said that he was something. So whether it was, you know, he is the door, he is the shepherd, he is the way, he is the resurrection, it's all, we're going to look at all of those over the course of the next six weeks after this one. And tonight we're going to look at the first one, and the first one as you see from the pictures, and we saw, we're going to see more uh, in more detail as we continue on here. Uh, Jesus is going to call himself the door of the sheep. Now, this took on a whole lot more meaning for me when I studied it and I saw the picture of that woman sitting there in the doorway. Because when we're away from the Middle East and we're away from the idea of sheep and sheep pens and things like that, my mental picture of Jesus as the door was uh, an anthropomorphic door with eyeballs before this. You know, Because my concept of a door is a door like you would see on a building or something like that. But to see that it was actually a physical body that acted as the door, and to have Jesus say that he is the door really opened up this passage, and and it really revealed the profound meaning that is here for us as we look at it. As we begin this new series that is going to be titled, or is titled rather, He Is, because it's all the passages where he says, I am, we're going to see that Jesus likened himself unto several things in the Gospel of John. And as I mentioned, and you see the pictures there, the first tonight is that he likens himself unto a gate or a door. This is significant because we live in a society that tries to tell us that there are many doors that we can go through, if we even believe in doors at all. Jesus, however, tells us that there is only one door, and that it is he. The setting for this particular passage that we're going to look at tonight, that I read from, uh, the first six verses of at the beginning, is known as the Good Shepherd Discourse. You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Well, this is the Good Shepherd Discourse, as it's called, oftentimes. It's a passage that we'll see the first of two images tonight. We're going to look at the second one next week. We're going to see the first of two images tonight. And here, Jesus is using a figure of speech to call followers to himself at a very hostile time in his ministry. You see, the Pharisees at this time, at this point, in the Gospels, wanted Jesus dead. And he used this imagery to communicate a message of safety and security to those that would follow the one true shepherd. And as I said, we're going to look more at the one true shepherd next week. Tonight, though, we're going to consider from this particular text three ways that Jesus was not only the door for that modern or for that that Jewish audience that he's speaking to there, but also uh, three ways in which he is the door for us today. We're going to look at three ways in which Jesus is the door for us as we live out our lives for Jesus Christ and know him as our Savior. Now, we looked at uh, the first uh, six verses of this particular chapter, and this these first six verses were a parable of sorts, as it says in the text, a figure of speech, that he was sharing with, teaching, and preaching to a crowd that was predominantly Jewish, and it was most likely made up of an interesting cross-section of Jewish people 
including common folk as well as Pharisees who would have been present there. So if you think in terms of parables, which are often, uh, they've been described as earthly stories with heavenly meanings, what we see here is Jesus talking about how sheep pens work to a bunch of people that would have known how sheep pens work. Think about that. They would have really understood exactly what he was talking about. We have to do research to know what sheep pens look like, to know what, what kind of a door they're talking about, and then to understand why it's significant. But for them, they would have gotten it right away. They'd have been like, okay, yeah, we, we already know this, Jesus, you know. Many of them would have been like, okay, I've been a shepherd before, I've done the job. But he is telling them something very specific here in the text. And he goes on in verse 7, which is where we're going to begin tonight, as we look at the first way in which Jesus is a door for us today, when we consider that first, Jesus is the first doorway tonight, doorway number one, we consider that Jesus is our door to the pen of the sheep. Now when I say that phrase, pen of the sheep, it's important, you need to realize that when I say pen of the sheep, I'm speaking of literally the presence of God. Jesus is the door to the pen of the sheep. Jesus is the, the doorway or the pathway to the presence of God himself. When Jesus used that story, the first six verses where he describes the people who get in there, who aren't supposed to be in there, that are criminals, who don't go through the door but climb over the wall, and he talks about the shepherd, who is the only one that can get in and out, and ultimately is the door. What he's saying in all of that is he's, he's actually referencing first century Judaism. Because he's, he's, he's talking to a whole bunch of people who would have been telling everyone that Judaism was the way. That that was, you got to God through a religious belief system. But more specifically, and this is the reason why he criticized the Pharisees a lot, the Pharisees were telling folk that they were the way to God. And that rule keeping was the way to God. And that Judaism was the way to God. Not through a person. And so, when we look at this passage and we understand what he's saying here, he is talking about, when he talks about the pen of the sheep, being the literal presence of God. And he's saying that if you try to get into the presence of God through any other way, a.k.a. Judaism or any kind of other religious belief system, or law-keeping or whatever, that you're doing it the wrong way. It's a thief and a robber. And he was actually openly criticizing the Pharisees through this particular description in the passage. And what we ultimately see when we understand that the first figure of speech that Jesus is using here when he says, I am the door, is that he is literally saying that he is the door to the presence of God. He is the door to the pen of the sheep. And when we look at verse 7 and 8, we see him actually declare this. The first six verses, as I said, were a setup for this. And verse 6 says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And he's pointing out, John is pointing out, that the folks in the crowd who didn't get it were folks that weren't following him. He was calling followers to himself, but he was using a figure of speech that God would then enlighten in their minds and hearts and they would understand and follow him. Because people came to Jesus, literally in the first century, and they would be the ones who would have understood what he was saying here, but the vast majority didn't. So look at verse 7 and 8 where he literally says, I am the door. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, again said to them, pointing back to the first verse of chapter 10 that we read at the beginning of the service, where he says, truly, truly, I say to you. So verse 7, so Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, listen up, guys, this is important. I want you to get this. That's what truly, truly means. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So when he's talking about here, he's, he's openly criticizing the Pharisees' religious system. He's saying everybody that came before me that was a part of that 
were not the true shepherd or not true shepherds, and that they're ultimately thieves and robbers, and that's why those who would follow Jesus did not listen to them. He does. He follows that up with saying, all who came to me, though, uh, before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. We're going to see he's going to go into that more in the next couple of verses. But what he's saying here in verse 7 and 8, ultimately, is that he is the door to the pen of the sheep. I am the door. All who came before me weren't. They were essentially, they, they were false messiahs. There were many people who claimed to be the messiah, but were not. Thieves and robbers. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the messiah. And what he's saying here, ultimately, is he's saying that he is their only way and our only way to real religion with the Father. There's been a, a trend in Christianity that, which is not entirely wrong, but it's also not entirely right when it talks about Christianity and being a Christian, it not being a religion but a relationship. Well, it, those two things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Because when people think of religion, they often think of institution and they tie it to the building of the church or the, the do's and don'ts of the church. But if you actually study the idea of religion and the concept of religion, is that really it's ultimately a collection of beliefs, customs, and philosophies that ultimately uh, ultimately are defined in, in a worldview, which we all have. That's the thing. Everyone has a worldview. And your religion is ultimately, really, at the end of the day, just your worldview. Now, if your religion like the Pharisees, was tied to a bunch of laws and rules, and people who are misrepresenting God, then yes, religion bad. But if your worldview is tied to the Scriptures and tied to Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and the Messiah, and the principles that we see in Scripture for how we live as believers and how the church is supposed to go and what how believers are supposed to live, then religion good. And it's really that simple. So what Jesus is saying here is that he is ultimately the way to uh, what real religion is with the Father. It's a religion that is it's a religion that's stamped by, by God himself. This is the way to do things. My, my word, the scriptures, the presence of God. It's in the presence of God that we know how to live out what it means to be a believer, how to do church, how to live life, how we should judge what's right and wrong in society according to God's word. Jesus is our only way to the door of the sheep pen, the only way to access the presence of God, the only way to understand what real religion is, to what a real worldview is. It's found with the Father, and it only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But once we have that relationship, then we can understand what is real, true religion. In fact, James even references religion in some of the criteria in the, in the Epistle of James. So you see, real worldview but it is also not only a worldview, not only a religion. Jesus is also the gate or the door to that relationship. So it is, in fact, religion and relationship, not one or the other. And when Jesus is the door, then we can understand what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the one who ultimately reconciles us to the Father or makes things right. When you have an issue with someone, reconciliation should be the goal, especially as a believer. We, unfortunately, sometimes, all too often, lately, tend to write people off when we have a disagreement. We just cut ties and move on. And yet, scripturally, as believers, we're called to reconcile the relationship with them, to, to make things right, to do what needs to be done to come together again. Reconciliation is not always 100% possible. In fact, there's actually times where it is better to have two parties part ways. 
But generally speaking, reconciliation should be the goal. And Jesus is the reconciler to God the Father for us. Because we are ultimately born in sin, separated from God. And in order to have a relationship with him, we need Jesus Christ to make things right between us and God the Father. And he does that through our relationship with him. Because then he represents us before the Father. He essentially says, uh, very commonly speaking, Dad, they want to work things out with you, and it's because of me that they can. And God and, and we can then come together and have a relationship with one another through the Father, or through the Son, rather, to the Father. So we see that Jesus is our only way or only path to an understanding of a biblical worldview and religion, real religion. He's also the doorway uh, to the pen of the sheep and that he uh, makes it so we can have a relationship with God the Father. And he's ultimately, as we just looked at and talked about, the only way to be right with the Father. To uh, cover, really to do, do away with that sin. Not just covering like in the Old Testament, but an actual washing away of the sin entirely so that it's not held against us anymore. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the way to the Father. I am the way into the sheep pen. I am the door. You go through me. And he said that to this audience, whom those that would follow him would understand. But those who rejected him would just assume that he was just man of God's planning, because they assumed they knew about shepherds and sheep and pens and things like that. And they just wrote him off and rejected him. So the first doorway that we see in the first way that Jesus is the door in our lives today is that he is the door to the pen of the sheep. He is the door to the presence of God, to the very presence of God. We don't get there through religion, like a, a, a non-biblical worldview religion. We get there through religion that's founded in Jesus Christ in the, in the scriptures. And we get there through a relationship with Jesus Christ and then ultimately being right with God. And Jesus does all of that. He is the door. The second thing that we see, or the second doorway that we find in this particular text, first is that Jesus is the door to the pen of the sheep. The second is this. Jesus is our door to the pasture of abundance. Jesus is our door to the pasture of abundance. He is the door out to the field where all the grass is. And he's also the door back into the pen where it's safe and secure at night. He is the door to abundance. So we see here in the next two verses in 9 and 10. First, we saw Jesus said, I am the door, and I'm the only door. Anybody who came before me are thieves and robbers, and real sheep, true believers, do not listen to them. Verse 9, he says it again, just in case anybody in the crowd missed it. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what we experience there is a shift or a transition for Jesus. He was going from essentially telling a story about sheep and shepherds and doors and thieves and murderers to really bringing it in and bringing it down to people on a spiritual level. So it was very a metaphor earlier. Now he literally is bringing it down to saying, hey, I'm the door. This is what it means to be the door and what it means for you. He tells them that he is the way to salvation. Now in the Old Testament, many of them would have understood salvation to be 
freedom from their oppressors and ultimately their nation rising to power again. Some would have gotten that. Many, most actually, probably would have gotten it that way. Jesus, of course, is talking about a different salvation. He's talking about being delivered not only from their enemies, but delivered from sin and delivered from the consequences of death. Salvation delivered to the Father. And he says, I am salvation. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is telling the listeners there that he is the one who is the the way to salvation with God. The only way. It's not through the law keeping that many of them were trying to do. It's not through identification with a religious system that many of them were trying to do. It's not through all the other myriad of means and ways in which they tried to get to God, but couldn't. He says, I am the door to salvation, literally. He spells it out. But not only the door to salvation, he talks about a life of abundance. And I think many of us are seeking that, aren't we? We're seeking a life that's fruitful, that's good. It may not always be pleasant, and everything may not always go well, but we, I think most of us, if not all of us, want a life that, generally speaking, is a good life. And Jesus says that you can have more than a good life. You can have a life of abundance. Does that mean everything will go easily and go well? No. No, it won't. In fact, as a believer, we're told in other places in Scripture that we can expect persecution. We can expect difficulties and trials and so forth. But in the midst of those things, we see God's goodness, which is what we talked about and looked at early on tonight and sang about even. The goodness of God. And you can have the goodness of God even when life is difficult. Jesus says that he wants to give a life of abundance. He says, first, if anyone enters by me, the door, then he'll be saved. And he will then go in and out and find pastor. Now notice that he talks about salvation first, and then he talks about going in and out and finding pastor. And the pastor is a pastor of abundance. We see that at the end of verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Because you can't have abundant life without salvation without going through the door that is Jesus Christ. That is knowing him as your Savior. And he tells them that he wants them to have abundant life, and he wants us to have abundant life. Now that abundant life that he's talking about is abundant life now, as well as forever, for eternity. Abundant life now and forever. The abundant life now is knowing Jesus Christ personally and being a part of the vine, which is what we'll look at in like four or five weeks from now and in receiving life from the Savior and from the Holy Spirit, power from the Holy Spirit, and ultimately having that connection with God himself, which then uh, creates fruit in our life, spiritual fruit. And that's really where the blessing and the benefit and the goodness comes in, is that fruit that's born in our lives, both for ourselves and for one another. He's talking about an abundant life. It's, It's not filled with materialism. When I talk about blessings and abundance, that's not what we're talking about here. Yes, sometimes God does give people resources to use for his glory. But when we talk about an abundant life, we talk about a full life that is lived with with God through the Son by power of the Holy Spirit so that we can then benefit others and then they in turn also benefit us. And that comes through relationship with one another. That's a full life. is relationship and connectedness, both vertically and horizontally. And he says... I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it here. But then he's also referring to eternal life. Life forever. And we're going to see a little bit more about that in just a moment. But he talks about the door 
not just being a way into the presence of God, but also a way out to an abundant life. Have you ever thought about that before, with Jesus Christ as a door? Because we often think of a door as a barricade or something that blocks. And yes, for safety and security reasons, which was the thrust of this message to the Jewish people, but also it's a path. It's a way into the Father and a way out to abundant life. Do you know the door today? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know what it means to have an abundant life here? A life that's not tied down by the burdens of this world? that can deal with the difficulties that come because your eyes are ultimately to the Father and you know that no matter what happens, He is good and He's got you. That's what Jesus wanted them to know then and that's what He wants us to know today. That's what I want you to know from His Word. That Jesus is a doorway. He's the first first way He's a doorway is that He's the door to the presence of God, the pen of the sheep, and He's also a door to the pasture of abundance, both here now and also in eternity through salvation because He's the only way. The last way, the third way that we see that Jesus is the door is that he is the door to the palm of God's hand. The door to the palm of God's hand. Now, this passage that we're going to look at next is one that I've loved from the time that I was a teenager. And it was one when I worked in camp ministry and I had the opportunity to lead lots of children and teenagers and and so forth, and even some adults to the Lord. This is one that I would share with them because of the significance of it as it relates to salvation. Let's look at the passage. We see that Jesus is the door to the palm of God's hand, starting in verse 22. So flip on down to verse 22 from verse 10. We're going to look at 11 through 21 next week. Skipping on down to 22. It actually begins another passage. Same chapter, but another passage. That's significant because the Gospels are not chronological biographies. They're not all time-oriented so that one always leads from one to the other and that they're not always, it's not always that uh, events that happen in the next section happen immediately. There can be gaps of time. And this is significant because in the Gospels, the accounts that you read in each section are thematic. They're, 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 it's like for those of you who like to organize things by color or shape or something like that. You know, there's, there's themes, all right? These, then that they're theological themes. So when we look at this next passage, realize that the verses that we just looked at are where they are, and the verses that follow are where they are because they're somehow connected theologically and not necessarily chronologically. So verse 22, it even John even gives us this prep in this first sentence in 22. He says, at that time, so sometime later, we don't know when, but we do know it was in winter. So at, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. So he says, sometime later, who knows how long, I'm not sure exactly, now, the Holy Spirit didn't tell me to write that part, but he did tell me to write that it was around the Feast of Dedication, that it was in Jerusalem, and it was at winter. So it at least gives us that to ground us in this section. But he wants us to know that what we're about to read is somehow theologically connected to what we just read. So at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So clearly these folks, if they were at the the last section or had heard what he said in the last section, they weren't getting it. They weren't following him. They thought he was trying to keep them in suspense. Like it was a cliffhanger at the end of a television season. They said, tell if you're if you're Jesus, Jesus, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. 
the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So not only did I tell you, but you also saw the power of God that I, I manifested so that you would believe as a witness. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. There it is. There's the connection. That's why this section is where it is in relationship to the last one. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And we're going to look a lot more at that whole following thing next week. Verse 28, though. Here's where we want to dig in. Verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, when I, I thought about that, and I've been thinking about this, like I said, since I was about 15 and discovered this passage and was led to this passage. When we become saved and we know Jesus Christ is our Savior and we're born again, we are placed by God into the hand of the Son. Secure. And it's nothing. If you go on here, it says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So that was just amazing to me as a teenager. And I used to have fun with the kids at camp because I would put something in my hand like a coin or something. And it's, it's just hilarious to watch you know, a six-year-old or seven-year-old tries they might to get something out of the grip of your hand. And then they eventually get exhausted, only briefly though, because they have limitless energy. And But they, if you stick with it long enough and you endure, you, you will defeat them. And they, they really will get that image, that picture of what it means to be saved. And to be saved in a way that nothing can take you out of the hand of God. Or the hand of the Son, rather. He's given to, uh, well, he's the same. And he even says he's the same. Verse 30. I and the Father are one. When we think about being placed in the hand of God, I thought about that sheep pen. And the fact that to go in and out of the sheep pen, you have to go through the door, which is Jesus Christ. And the sheep that are inside that pen are secure and safe. That's why they're built the way that they are. And that's why there was only the one way in and the one way out through the door. But we see here in this text that much like the sheep pen, the hand of God is such that nothing can take us out of it. And we see that it is ultimately a, a, an access point or a way to God the Father, to the palm of God's hand. Jesus is the only way to true eternal security. And not only do we see that he's the only way to true eternal security, but also that we were chosen to go there. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me. Think about that. God chose you to give you to Jesus Christ. Now, many of us may have struggled at one point or another in life, and maybe are struggling now with the idea of what it means to be chosen. We wonder if there's actually anyone who really, truly cares about us and picks us. And there are many who maybe even are hearing my voice tonight who have never really felt like anybody chose them. And yet, we can know from the Word of God that if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior as the door, and then next week we'll see the shepherd, if that takes place, then we can know that God chose us. And He chose you long before you chose Him. And that God loves you and chooses you to have a relationship with you. And that's powerful stuff. And when He chooses you, you're placed into the palm of His hand. And He never lets go. And you might struggle and wonder, many struggle and wonder whether or not they're born again and saved. And I would say that if you're struggling with it, then there's a good chance that you probably are. It's those that don't care, that it's not important to them, or they don't even want to be a part of the Lord. They probably are not. But if you care enough to wonder, there's a good chance that there's probably some faith there. And you're placed into the hand of God. 
to me, that's one of the most encouraging passages in Scripture, one that I've loved forever and ever and ever. And most significantly and importantly, when we're placed into the hand of God and we're eternally secure, we see something else in this passage. Not only that we have eternal security, not only that God chose us, but also we can know what God is like. And Jesus is the only way to that. Jesus is the doorway to knowing what God is like. Because he says here in this text in verse 30, I and the Father are one. And in other places in Scripture, Jesus tells the disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he is a literal, literal, literal incarnation of the Father in the flesh. And a lot of people wonder what God is like. And they go through life wondering if there even is a God. And Jesus says, that, that's me. You can know. You can see. You can know me personally. Because I and the Father are one. And when you've seen me, you've seen him. We're placed in the hand of God. We're chosen by him and we can see what God is truly like and we can know him personally through Jesus Christ who is the door. Jesus Christ was the door to the first century Jewish people that Jesus Christ was preaching and teaching to in these passages. But he's also the door for us today. He's the door to salvation. He's the door to security. He's the door to protection, provision, abundance. He's the door to knowing who the Father is and what He's like. He's the door to knowing what it's like to be chosen and loved by the Creator of the universe. He's the door to so many things. But as we see in this passage, He's the door to the sheep. And the sheep are the ones who know His voice, who have heard His call to them in their lives to follow Him, to receive forgiveness from Him, and to believe in Him by faith. So what do we do with this text tonight, or these passages rather, as we see that Jesus is the door for us? The first, really very simply, and you're going to hear this a lot over the course of this series, particularly because it's around Easter. I want to invite and encourage you first tonight to enter the presence of God through the door that is Jesus Christ. I'm not going to assume that anyone here tonight is born again or saved. That's not my call to make. Only you know your heart and only you know whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and whether or not you've gone through the door that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But I want to encourage you tonight, if you never have, if you've never made that faith choice to believe in Him as the Savior, to be forgiven for your sin, and to know that you can be forever in the presence of God, I want to encourage you tonight to do that. Make that choice. Make that decision. When we're singing tonight, at the end, call out to him and say, Jesus, I want you to save me and forgive me for my sin. I believe that you died for me and that because of you, I can have a relationship with God and I want to. Do that tonight. And if you're not sure about that, please take the time to talk with me after. Reach out to me via message. You can instant message me if you're on Facebook or social media in general, if you're listening online. But please, I would love to share with you what it means to know Jesus Christ who is the door and the pathway to God. The second is this. The second is this. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've gone through the door. You know the Father. If you have a saving relationship with Christ, now is the time to really thank God for choosing you and placing you into the hand that is His hand so that you can know what it means to have eternal security. To know that He loves you and that He chose you and that He wants a relationship with you and that nothing can take you out of His hand. Use this truth to encourage yourself, but also maybe even to encourage another. If you know someone in your life who's struggling with their faith, 
or is discouraged or is asking those questions and wondering about whether or not they have a relationship with God, but want to know. And that's the difference. There are those that wonder and don't care, and there are those that wonder and want to know. And if there's someone in your life that wonders and wants to know, encourage them with this passage. As we move toward Easter, begin really getting to know the different images that Jesus Christ describes him as. The first one tonight being that Jesus is the door, the way to the Father, and the path to abundance. Father God, thank you so much for the images that you have given us in the Gospel of John. Thank you for showing us that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the door. He is the way to you. The way to salvation and abundance and security. And God, I pray that if there's anyone listening to my voice tonight that has never made that choice, that's never called out to you, Lord, and never prayed to you, I pray that they would do that. And if they're not sure how to do that or what to do, they would have the courage from you to come to myself or somebody that they know is a, someone they know is a Christian and can share with them. God, thank you for this time of year and for the way in which it, it um, gives us hyper-focus on your son Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and the different images that come with that. I pray that we would remember he is the door going forward through the rest of this series and that we would use that to encourage ourselves and others when we're discouraged about our salvation. And it's in your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, who is the doorway. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Christ-Centered Cast. Please join us again next week. God bless.